a series on uh, the seven deadly sins. By the way, uh, it's weird to say this, but I kind of enjoyed that series. Uh, it was an interesting series. I, one of them that I did, especially the one on envy, uh, really kind of opened my eyes to a couple of things I had never thought about before. And I think, you know, sometimes that's why you need to do series like that. Things get connected in your brain. And so after we did the series on the seven deadly sins, we decided, uh, at first we decided we would do a series on biblical virtues. And normally you'd think we would go to Galatians chapter 5, you know, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, uh, gentleness, goodness, uh, faith, meekness, faith, temperance, meekness. And you'd think we would stay on that. But if you've been here, uh, you probably already know, we have not even covered those seven, much less all the rest of the biblical virtues. A lot of people kind of think, you know, about biblical virtues. They think of only uh, the fruit of the Spirit. But there's a lot more biblical virtues. If you saw that first slide, a lot of those things were listed. By the way, if you need a, uh, if you need a handout, there's, there's a handout back there. Just raise your hand and uh, Pastor Wall will be glad to get you one. So far, uh, Pastor Wall, myself, and Pastor, those are the ones we've covered so far. So if you want to know more about those biblical virtues, you can go to Sermon Audio, look that up, or go to our church website, look that up. Uh, we've talked about patience, perseverance, contentment, humility, gratitude, diligence, or Pastor Wall called that the work ethic, uh, holiness, temperance, gentleness. In fact, when I was doing gentleness, uh, patience, we did patience, gentleness, goodness, long-suffering and forbearing all, all at one time because they're so interconnected. Sometimes it's really hard to tear things apart like that. So all those have been covered. Uh, pastor did respect, uh, faithfulness, joy. And so there's been a lot of those issues. Uh, I really thought when we started this, well, you know, we'll do seven, eight sermons and we'll, we'll move on. But I think we've had such good input from people that are sitting out there that are saying, I really like that. I thought that was good. And so we're going to keep it up. So uh, let me kind of give you a reminder. OK, this is my definitions, but I'll help you remind if you've got a little um, um, handout. Everything that's in red is what your blanks. If you're looking for to fill those blanks, that's where you'll get your information. So what is a virtue? When we talk about biblical virtues, what is a virtue? I define a virtue as an attribute of moral goodness or moral excellence. OK, uh, there's all kinds of virtues, but uh, any virtue has got to be a, an attitude or attribute or character of moral goodness or moral excellence. Here's the problem, though, when you define it like that, what are your morals? How do you define, you have to define morals. I would say your morals are your inner sense of right and wrong. They're the truths you live by. Now, if you remember way, way back when we first started this, we talked about morals. There can be both good, people can have both good and bad morals. You can live by good biblical truth, but you can also live by immoral truth. And you think it's your truth and it's not true at all. Uh, you know, some people think in certain situations uh, it's okay to punch somebody in the nose or it's okay to lie or it's okay. Uh, in, in some people justify, uh, I'm not saying killing, some people justify even murder. Okay, so you can have good morals and you can have bad morals. So your virtues are those attributes that the good morals you live by. So the technical biblical virtues would be the good or biblical truths that you live by. Now, let me say this again. I've said it in the beginning and this is just a fast review. They're, your morals, your, your biblical virtues, those morals you say you have are not the ones you say you have. Look at the definition again. It is the ones you actually live by. You can say, I believe in absolute honesty, but if you lie all the time, you don't believe in absolute honesty. Quit saying that, okay? Uh, it's the truth that you absolutely live by. So when we, we're putting out these biblical morals, we're talking biblical virtues, these are biblical truths you need to live by. We've talked about kindness and gentleness. We've talked about love. We've talked about joy. All those are biblical virtues that we need to be exhibited in our life. Those are the outworking of the Holy Spirit Spirit's working within us, how God has changed us, how the Word of God begins to work on us, and how we begin to change and become something different. All those outworkings, those are the biblical virtues. And your virtues are the ones that you actually live by. I have people tell me all the time they're a Christian and then I see their lifestyle and I kind of think, uh, that is not a biblical lifestyle, right? You've all done that, right? So understand that. So what are we gonna talk about? Uh, last night, uh, last night, yesterday we talked about this and, and uh, pastor said something about, hey, are you, are, is it your turn to do the Wednesday night? I didn't know. And unfortunately, I said, I don't know, which I should have said no. But I said, I don't know. And so then it became my turn. It was like one of those, you know how that works. So I had no idea what I was going to speak on. Uh, I went to bed last night. I still had no idea what I was going to speak on. Woke up this morning about, uh, I think it was about 4 o'clock, 4.30, somewhere in there. Uh, I woke up because of an older gentleman. You'll figure that out later. 
And so uh, I'm walking in my house and I thought to myself, what am I going to speak on tonight? I got to speak on something tonight. What am I going to speak on? And this thought came to my mind. I had this thought. Why don't you just relax and let God tell you what to speak on and just obey him? And I thought to myself, yeah, if God, God will put a subject in my mind that I will speak on and I'll just obey him of that. And immediately the Holy Spirit said, hey, dummy, how about obedience? I never thought, how many of you ever think when you think of biblical virtues, you think of obedience as a biblical virtue? It's really not on most of our list. It's kind of like we talked about the other day, last time I was here, I did one on gentleness. And while we all understand gentleness, not very many of us pray for gentleness, not, especially men. I don't know a lot of men that go around saying, God, help me to be more gentle. But we should, right? Well, obedience is also a biblical virtue. So let me see if I can do this. Let me see if I can define de- obedience for you. This is, again, my definition. Now, this is not the definition we're going to use tonight. Uh, and I noticed before the service that I, I left out a little something here. This is what we used to tell our children. And Becky, where's Becky? I know she's in here. Where did we get this? You remember where we got this? This definition on obedience. Okay. Obedience is doing what you're told, when you're told. There should be another line there, how you're told with the right attitude. You remember, we said, that's what we taught our kids all the time. Obedience is doing what you're told, when you're told, how you're told, and with the right attitude. By the way, how many of you would agree when you, if you're a parent, that's a, good, that's a good definition of obedience for your children, right? Amen. And, and that's, by the way, it's a simple definition. Not only can you remember, but as a parent, you can remember to teach them. Or in my lifestyle now, uh, grandchildren and, you know, Four or five more years, probably great grandchildren. Oh, that is, ooh, wow, that's hard to think about. But anyway, uh, that's, a, that's a decent definition, but it doesn't cover all the bases in a sense. So uh, a little updated maybe version, is a better definition is this. And I think I've got this right, and you, you can argue with me later. But I think biblical obedience is obeying proper authorities. By the way, not every authority above you is a proper authority, Right? People that usurp authority sometimes where they don't have the right to do so. So it's obeying proper authorities at the appropriate time. There sometimes I may not obey authority. If, if uh, my wife is having a heart attack and I'm driving down to, how many of you notice we've got a new speed limit out in front of the church? If you, I, you, I hope you don't notice the hard way. It went down from 50 to 45 in a little section here, and then it goes down to 40 further on. But if I'm driving that 45 mile an hour speed zone, leaving the church, and my wife has a heart attack, the, church, the hospital's just a few blocks down, how many of you think I'm going to continue to keep the speed limit? I, I think that's, a, that's not an appropriate time, right? I, I, some of you th- see me drive, you say, you'll probably keep the speed limit. No, I, I wouldn't in that case. Okay, so it's obeying proper authorities at the appropriate time. And I do believe you have to say this. It is with the right heart attitude. I know a lot of Christians who obey God grudgingly. And I'm not talking about just in giving. You know, we always go to cheerful givers. And you should be a cheerful giver. You should give uh, because of all that God's done for you. You should cheerfully want to give back. But it has to be with the right attitude. I used to hate that in my kids when they would obey with the wrong attitude. I'd just assume you not obey me almost. You know, if I say to my child, uh, especially when they were younger, go to your room, make up your bed, get that junk off the floor and wash the clothes. Ah, ah, ah. I never stood much for that. If you've noticed the back of my son's head is somewhat flat right about here. There's a reason for No, that's not true. Uh, but uh, the point is that attitude, I may even agree, the attitude makes all the difference. If you've worked with somebody, if you're in a position of authority over somebody, it makes a difference how they respond to you. It makes a, a world difference. So I, I think that's a fairly good definition. It may not be complete, but obeying proper authorities uh, in the appropriate, uh, in the, at the appropriate time with the right heart attitude. OK, now we're looking at that. So that brings me to some questions. So here's the second question. You can't possibly get this wrong. Not fundamental Baptist Christians. You cannot get this wrong. What is our highest authority? I could have left that blank and you would know, right? You would all know that. What is our highest authority? Yeah, the, the Word of God. How the Holy Spirit illuminates the Word of God in our heart. That, that's the highest authority that I have. There is no higher authority. Pastor Monty is not. He stayed in here. I can't even talk about him now. Pastor Monty is not the highest authority in my life. You're not even above Becky, by the way. So... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, he's not the highest authority in my life. The government, uh, Biden is definitely not the highest authority in my life. I'm going to just tell you that right now. Uh, but so what's the highest authority? We know it's the word of God. Uh, you know, Joshua 1, 8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest what? 
What's the little phrase there? You see what I've, I've highlighted for you? Observe to do all that is written therein, right? And you can, you can look at that in several passages. Uh, Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. Blessed man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor, sta- uh, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is where? In the law of the Lord. In his law doth he meditate day and night. Uh, same thing again. Uh, Psalm 119, verses. I love these verses. Good, great verses. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Do we have, do we have a responsibility to obey the law of the Lord? Yes, we do. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and seek him with their whole heart. Again, you try to throw that heart attitude in there. And we could go on and on and on. I'm, I'm one more. Uh, but if you brethren, this is Paul talking to the church at Thessalonica. But if you brethren be wary, because somebody looked at those verses a while ago. There's somebody in this auditorium. I know you looked and you said, oh, I see. Joshua, Psalms, Old Testament. You just got Old Testament. Okay, well, the Bible says the same thing in the New Testament, people. Okay, bring, but you, brethren, be not weary and well-doing. If any man obey not our word by this epistle. Do you have a responsibility to obey the epistles as Paul or the other apostles have written them? Of course you do. We have a responsibility. We have, that's part of what obedience is. Okay, so why do we obey? There's really only two reasons I come up with. I mean, there's a lot of side reasons, but main, there's two main reasons, right? We obey God, number one, or at least maybe I should say it this way. The number one reason we should obey God is why? Love. love. If you love me, keep my commandments. I don't, look, everybody look at me. I, I say this a lot of times in counseling. I don't obey God so that I'll get the right results in my life. Because sometimes obedience to God does not get the results I want. Right? I, I, don't, I don't obey God for the results. I obey God because of what he's already done in my life. I, maybe some of you are like me. I've been saved and last year. was my 50th year. I got saved when I was uh, 17 years old. I turned 67 last year. 50 years I've been saved. And the longer I've been saved, you know, the songs that talk about it go sweeter and sweeter as the years go by. It does. When I, now, when I think about God's grace, when I think about God's mercy, when I think about God's love, when I think about God's forgiveness, you name the attribute. When I think about those things, it means different to me now than it did when I was 17. It was wonderful when I'm 17. When I'm 67 and I look back and I see all that God has brought me through and all that he's done for me and how many times has he forgiven me and cleansed me from my... Oh, any, anybody, here, anybody here besides me would say it literally thousands, if not millions of times God has had to forgive me for sin. I mean, everybody here, you have to. And the lo- so understand that some of you younger people, the older you get, the more you realize that. And I believe, and I, I think it should, if, if it doesn't, something's wrong. I think that should generate a greater love for him. A greater desire to please him. And, and by the way, that's number two. So our, our first, because we love him. Uh, second, why? Because we desire to please him. I like what it says in 1 Thessalonians. It says this, Furthermore, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ, that as you have received us, how you ought to walk and to please God. So you would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the, by the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So I, I love him, and because I love him, I want to obey him. I want to do those things that please him, right? Uh, I, I say the same thing is true about anybody. It's true about my wife. The more that I love her, the more I try to please her. Sometimes, even I, I can pat myself on the back a little bit. Sometimes I get up and do things I don't want to do because I know Becky would want me to do them. Amen? What drives that? Well, that's driven by love. And I have a love for her. I want her to be pleased. I want her to be happy. Well, I want God to be pleased with me. And I, and I want to do it. And by the way, the only way you can do that, the only way you can please God is live a life according to his commandments and to the principles that he's laid down. That You say, well, after we get saved, why do we need the Bible? Well, we need the Bible to know how we can be pleasing unto him. And by the way, the more pleasing we are unto him, really the more effective you're going to be in, in your family and your lost loved ones. You understand that, right? So pretty much this pretty basic stuff so far, right? Everybody still with me? We know what the highest authority is. That's God's word, right? Uh, we know that we, we obey God's word, not so that we can get saved, not so that we're in a better standing with God. God loves me regardless. I, that's another thing I can't figure out yet. He loves me even when I don't love me. Anybody feel like that sometimes? I don't love me. I, I, get, I have besetting sins. 
Let's just be honest. Anybody here else besides me have certain sins that, that you deal with them all the time? I have besetting sins. And I get sick. I get angry. I get frustrated with me when I commit that same sin again. Because I know I'm going to have to go to God and say, God, I, I'm back. I did it again. Forgive me. Right? But I know he does. Not because I'm good or because I deserve it. <laughs> Neither one of those two are true. He does it because he loves me. And you know what that does for me? The more I think about it, the more I want to obey him. The more I want to please him. I used to, in marriage counseling, one of the things I talk about couples with is, is this cycle. I think every marriage is in one cycle or another. I think if you're, spir- you're really spiraling up or you're spiraling down in your marriage. Uh, spiraling up, here's how this happens. I think, you know, I love Becky. I'm going to do this for her. And I do something really sweet for her. And I go out of my way to meet whatever needs she has. And Becky looks at that and goes, that oh, rascal, he's so sweet. I'm going to do this for him. And so she does something nice for me. And I'm like, Wow. She is special. I'm going to do something. And we are constantly trying to out. Isn't that what's supposed to happen? We're constantly trying to outdo each other in our love. Uh, one, of the, one of the little things we say all the time. If I sign a letter to Becky, it always says the same thing. With love, too much Morris. You know why I say that? Uh, sometimes I think I love her too much. And I say that all the time. She, like, if, she falls for it every time. Uh, you know, 47 years later, she's still going, oh, that's so sweet. I just got the right words, right? And sometimes I think about that too much. You know, I don't know that I can love God too much. I know I can love a human too much. So the, the concept behind making the Bible my highest authority, making sure I understand the truth of the scripture, studying the Bible, isn't so I'll be smart. It's so that I'll understand God better and know how to please him. Right? Everybody with me? Okay, so understand that. So uh, here, here's another, uh, here's a little note here. Uh, pastor will be a little surprised that I'm going to preach uh, something I'm going to preach tonight. He'll be a little worried because I'm jumping on his bandwagon. But you, how many of you agree with the first statement? Our highest authority is the word of God, right? Right. Somebody told me, I've said that one time, somebody, now your highest authority is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the word, people. Stop it. Quit trying to cut hairs, okay? Split hairs or whatever you call it. So our highest authority is the word of God. Now, in our, do, we, do you know, you do know Romans 13, right? You know, 1 Peter. You know we have, we have to obey civil authorities. Everybody, nobody argues with me on that, right? So what is our highest civil authority? Yeah, it's on, it's on the screen. It's pretty obvious, okay? Our highest authority in the United States government is our Constitution. Agreed? That's the highest authority. Every, I don't know if I can say that. I was just say. Every branch of government must obey the Constitution. Must may be a strong word in America today. And, and I'm not trying to be a rebel or anything, but let's be honest, our government's not functioning the way it was designed to function. Nobody here should argue with me about that. It's not, doing, it, it's not going by design. Even though there is a design. It's kind of like, it's kinda like uh, the people in our church. We're not going by the design we've been given either. Everybody living a perfectly biblical life, are you? Don't complain too much about the government because you're not doing it either. Just saying. Anyway, so uh, everybody understands that. So here's the next question. So is, is disobedience to authority ever the righteous choice? If the, is it ever a righteous choice to disobey authority? I think you agree with me, or you agree that it, there is. Okay, so uh, you know the story, right? Uh, here's the story everybody goes to first of all. Uh, you go to Acts chapter 5, and you remember when... Uh, Peter was uh, miraculously released from prison. He starts preaching. People are getting saved. Uh, the high priest and the captain of the, te- uh, yeah, the captain of the temple, they capture him and they make this statement. They said, did we not command you? Uh, haven't we already told you this? Did we not command you that you should not teach in this name? Referring to Jesus. Uh, and behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. We told you It's no longer legal for you to do this, and you went and did it anyway. Everybody knows what Peter said, right? We all know what he said. It's right here. You you can find it real. Peter said this. We ought to obey God rather than man. There is a point. There is a point when the authority over you can be disobeyed. Uh, Another one of the things I talk about in marriage counseling is this. 
is the husband the spiritual authority and the leader in the home? Okay, Rudy, what's the big yes that time? Okay. No, yeah, I mean, come on, people. It, you read, you've read the epistles, right? You've read Ephesians and Galatians. and you, you, Let me say that again. Maybe you didn't understand the question. Maybe I, was, I confused you. Is the husband supposed to be the spiritual leader, uh, the spiritual uh, head and the leader of the home? Yes or no? Yes, absolutely. Are there times when a wife should disobey her husband? Yes. When is that? When he defies biblical, when he tells her to do something outside of the realm of the scripture. If a husband comes home to his wife and said, you know, I met some, uh, another uh, fa- uh, husband and wife and they're wonderful people and I thought we should swap, swap wives. Well, it's your husband, ladies, you have to do that. Oh, no. Okay, so there are times when you have to debate, and you can find all the examples. Uh, I was talking to Pastor Wall, and the first example he came up with today, and he's absolutely correct. Uh, what about the book of Exodus? Did Moses defy the authority of the Egyptian government? Did the children of Israel defy their authority? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, sir. Were they right in doing so? Yes. Why? Because God told them to. Right? Let my people go. All right. So you understand that. And, and over and over, you'll see that where not, not I shouldn't say over. and over. You'll see that several times in the Bible where somebody had to defy the uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. When you hear the music, bow on your knees, worship the idol. Did they do that? Was that the, what the civil government required them to do? Why didn't they do that? Because there's only one God and we'll worship him. Right. So you understand it. So there is. A, now, let me let me make a let me make a little note here. OK. This is a caution. This is also in my marriage notes. Okay, when when disobeying human authority, I think sometimes that's going to happen. By the way, can I say this? Uh, Stop writing for a second. Look at me. That's a lot less than you think it is. That's it. Define human. Define the authorities above you is not as often. It's not an everyday thing, nor should it be. Okay. so let me give you this caution. When defying human authority, you must have clear biblical Evidence proving that you are obeying God rather than man. For instance, you go back to husband-wife concept. If the wife says, I'm not going to do what my husband wants me to do, why? I don't like it. That is not a clear biblical evidence. Right? Hello? 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 Okay. There are times, there are times when you may have to, but I think that's a rare, not a normal thing. I will give you this. If we continue on the path, I'm talking about America. If America continues on the path that it's going, it might not be as rare. Okay? I, I, I don't know where we're going. I don't like it. I'm, I'm, and I can't really say I'm scared or nervous, but I'm concerned. Amen? You know, we were, I think it was Pastor was talking about uh, what's going to happen in November and, you know, we better be ready for it. He has a lot deeper interest in it than I do. I mean, I'm like, yeah, men are going to do, be men. And, you know, there was a Caesar. There was a Nebuchadnezzar. We haven't got those guys yet. Christianity survived under that. Christianity survived under what we get. Amen? Till the Lord comes. I, I'm not saying I'm not concerned. I'm concerned, but I don't live in fear. So let me read it again. So when defying human authority, you must have a clear biblical evidence that uh, biblical evidence that you are provide that you're that that clear biblical evidence proving you're obeying God rather than men. And now listen to this part because you mean you need to understand this. And you must be willing to accept whatever consequences may come from that choice. You say our government's not doing right. I will rebel against the government. Okay, understand. Even if you have the right, even if you have clear biblical evidence, you're going to you're going to suffer some consequences for doing that. There are lion's dens and there are fiery furnaces, right? You do understand that. And not everybody comes out with, the, you know, everybody gets thrown in a fiery furnace has the form of the Son of God standing beside them. There are a lot of martyrs in the Roman era that did not, you know, they stood up for Christ and what happened to them? Torn apart by lions, burned at the stake. Did they do the right thing standing up for Christ? Absolutely. But they were doing it regardless of the circumstances because it's right. So when you say to me, Brother Morris, I'll stand up against any authority that's wrong. Okay, 
Make sure you understand that that means whatever consequence that brings on you, you're going to have to accept. Right? And that's, that's just the way it goes. I, I don't know what the rest of the, you know, if, uh, if chaos happens and rebellion happens and, you know, uh, I'm like everybody else. I, I'm pretty decent with a rifle. I, I can hunt food and all that. I may have to live in the woods for a while. Uh, but that would be the consequence. I, you say, you glue that, wouldn't you, Brother Morris? Maybe, but I don't want to. I'm not look, I know people are looking forward to that kind of stuff. Not me. I don't know. I like going home and sleeping in my bed and having a hot meal and you know, a warm shower in the morning. A cup of good coffee and off I go to my nice office and do my work. I, I'm not looking forward to that kind of thing. Understand, understand when you de- de- defy human authority, in my opinion, you must have clear biblical evidence to do so and you must be willing to accept consequences for doing it. Okay? Now, here's the next question. So, oh. I uh, gave you a hint there. So I asked Pastor this question. I asked Pastor Wall this question. I said, tell me, what, what, think of a story in the Bible that talks about defying governmental authority. And both of them came up with pretty much the same story, which, like I mentioned a while ago, Exodus, you know, uh, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Acts chapter 5, or pretty much all of, the, all of the New Testament epistles, pretty much all through the book of Acts, they had to stand up and say, no, that's not what we're going to do. We can't do that. We can't stop. Many men, many women, many children died because of that, right? Here's what, Kurt, I don't know where this came from. I'm hoping it's from the Holy Spirit. But I was thinking about this, and I thought, there is a story that il- illustrates two biblical obedience. A really good story that illustrates to true biblical obedience. I think it's the Christmas story. Now, let me say this. Uh, I think here, here's something. This is my opinion, but I think I'm, uh, I'm close on this, too. Uh, we criticize we criticize the Catholics because the way they lift up Mary. Right. Uh, lift her, literally lift her up above Jesus Christ himself. If you've ever been to any uh, South American, Central American countries and you've ever been to some of the Catholic churches there, I've, I've been in, uh, I don't know, four or five South, South American countries, a couple Central American countries. And I've actually been into, I'm not talking to something somebody's told me, I've, I've seen it. I, I've seen, I, I went into one in Atacipa, Peru. And on one side of the sanctuary, there was a massive, a massive display of what appeared to be Christ laying in a glass casket. And everything on that side was about death. On this side was Mary sitting on a throne. And I'm like, wait a minute, something's wrong. Then people need to switch places. I mean, but you'll see that all over. Uh, there is a, uh, we went into a monastery. It, not a monastery, what is it where the women are? Nunnery? Nunnery, is that right word? Okay, we went to a nunnery, and on the wall of the, of the nunnery, all the way around, were the seven days of creation, and in every day of creation was Mary, co-creator. And I even, had to, I even asked the priest, I, well, translated through uh, our missionary friend, and I said, is that supposed to be Mary? And he said, yes. The priest said, yes. And I said, why is she in every day of creation? He said, well, because she's the mother of God. She is... She, because she created him, she created the world. And I went, what? I, I, I didn't mean to insult the man, but I actually did that. I went, what? Like, what? What do you, what? How many of you ever noticed that? Anybody seen that besides me? Uh, it's a really strange thing. Uh, and we criticize Catholics for doing that, and well, we should. Amen? It's not, that's not biblical at all. But here's what we do. Have you ever, how many of you have, don't raise your hand, just think about it. How many of you, in your Christmas story, we tell the Christmas story with our kids. In fact, we had the older kid, we had all the kids, all eight grandchildren. I forced them to do a play for me. This, that's right. I sent them a script and said, get together and you'll do a play. And they did. And it, was, it was somewhat humorous, but it was, that's kind of what made it. They told the Christmas story, you know, complete with shepherds and a star. One of my granddaughters had a star on her shirt. It was a complete, you know, towels for shepherds, the whole thing. And you say, your grandkids are like 20 years old. That's right. They're still my grandkids. I put on shows for them. They put on shows for me. Anyway, uh, you know, and, and they talked about the shepherd and they talked about the wise men and they talked about the baby and they talked about Mary and they talked about the trip. Who we leave out? We don't ever talk about Joseph. I, I don't know if you've ever thought of this. Joseph was an extraordinary man. 
I mean, to the point of almost hard for me to understand. Uh, for instance, uh, you, you've got your Bible. Here's what I want you to Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 1. I've still got 28 minutes, 26 minutes, so everybody calm down. Uh, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1 and, of course, Luke chapter 2. We're going to flip back and forth. I'm, let me just say, tell you a couple things about Joseph, okay? Uh, Matthew chapter 1, look at verse 18. Matthew 1, 18. Uh, we'll pick up the story there. Matthew 18, now with the birth of Christ was on this wise, when as, Mary his, when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, engaged, they're, they're engaged to be married, uh, before they became, came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, by the way, that's not a bad description. Could you imagine? Wouldn't you like to have your name in the Bible as a just man? That's not a bad description. I like that. Uh, he was a just man uh, and not willing to make a public example. He didn't want to embarrass her. Ladies, is that okay with you? You like to have a man who does the right thing and does everything he can to protect you and your reputation? Didn't want to embarrass her. He was minded to put her away privately. But when he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take thee, Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Now, that's a simple passage. We read it all the time. You've read, how many have read that this year in a Christmas story? Pretty much all of you, right? Have you ever thought about being Joseph? Okay, first of all, an angel appearing to me is going to freak me out a little bit. I'm just going to be honest with you. And then the angel says, hey, uh, you need to go ahead and marry Mary. And she is pregnant, but don't worry about it. It's not from a man. It's God's son. Okay. Have, have you noticed what it says, what Joseph did? Anybody know what Joseph did when the, when the angel told him that? What did he do? One word. He obeyed. There's really no discussion. There's no thought. It's just, angel said, marry her. She's with child of the Holy Ghost. She's going to bring forth God's son. And Joseph said, okay. I, I think that's amazing. Uh, look, keep reading here. So in verse 21, so she, uh, she shall bring forth the son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be filled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin, shall with, uh, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which, will, which being interpreted is God with us. Now look what it says in verse 24. Look at it. Then Joseph being raised from sleep, what? Read it. Say it out loud did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. How many of you like that testimony? When that, that another, a just man who did what God told him to do. I wrote it down this way. He obeyed God even when he, he was told what seemed to be, uh, what seemed impossible to believe. I mean, I live by faith and there's a lot of things I hear in the Bible and I believe they're true and I struggle sometimes to believe them, right? I know they're true though, Right? I know Jonah was swallowed by a great fish or a whale, and I know that he lived in that for three days, and I know, I believe that. I really believe that happened. It may sound impossible to a lot of people, but I believe it. There's a lot of things I have to believe by faith. And by the way, that's what faith is. I don't need an explanation for faith. I trust God. And Joseph trusted God, and he obeyed, even when what he was told seemed impossible to believe. If God tells you, listen, the standard for giving is 10%. A cheerful giver a liberal giver, that's a baseline. And you say, I can't do that, that's impossible. That's not obedience. Now, I'm not preaching on financing, but, but I mean, the list goes on, right? So understand that. So here's what he did. So now look what happens next. So go to, go to flip over to Luke real quick, Luke chapter 1. Just wanted to see, show you a couple things. Luke chapter 1, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. I'll read it to you. You know the story. And it came to pass in those days that it went out a decree, a, a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone in his own city. So look, listen, look up here. So the civil government of his time said, we require you to pay your taxes. And what did Joseph do? What, the civil authority said, pay your taxes, it's time to go pay your taxes. Look what he does. Verse 4, and Joseph also went up. He, he obeyed God, but he also obeyed the civil authority above him. Amen? I had a guy tell me one time, uh, this was many years ago in another church, I had a guy tell me one time, he said, I don't believe in paying taxes. And I said, why not? And he said, they waste my money and I, I don't get any benefit from it. I said, well, tell me that next time somebody breaks in your home and you call the police. 
Or tell me that when your house is on fire and the fire department shows up. Or tell me that when you drive down the highway that we pay. Now, do I think they waste our money? Absolutely. No question. But I still have a civil responsibility to pay my taxes. I don't like how much I pay, and I can gripe and complain about that. But that's a civil authority over me. And I can't find a biblical reason not to. In fact, I can find a few biblical reasons too. Render under Caesar that which is Caesar's, right? Even Jesus said, even Jesus miraculously paid taxes. Go to the ocean, get a fish, take the coin out, pay. Right? If Jesus is paying his taxes, I guess I should be paying mine. That's all I'm saying. So he, he obeyed the civil authorities. Now you have to admit, this was under difficult circumstances. You realize that Mary is now nine months pregnant. And they don't have a car. I don't even know if that, we always picture her on a donkey. I don't know if they had a donkey. I'm, I'm, maybe they did, I don't know. Uh, there's, nothing, there's no reference to Mary riding a donkey in the Bible. You said, no? No, it's just what we imagine. Either way, it's a 90-mile trip. It is a 90-mile trip to Bethlehem. Nine months pregnant. In fact, not just nine months pregnant, nine months and really close to the moment. Amen? Because when she gets there, we have a baby. Even in difficult circumstances, he still obeyed civil authorities. Now, I put that up there for a reason because I want you to understand something. I believe that. and believe I can prove that from the Bible. We have a, we have a responsibility sometimes to obey civil authorities even when it's difficult. I'm not saying in everything, but in most things, probably true. Okay, so you know what happens. So now, look what happens next. So Luke chapter, 20, uh, chapter 2, verse 21. Flip over, you're, you're almost there, so just jump over to 21. So eight days were accomplished for the circumcision of the child. His name was called Jesus, which was so named, because, but the angel, um, so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they, they that's Mary and Joseph, uh, brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. By the way, why did they do that? Why did they take him to be circumcised on the eighth day? That's a biblical law. Genesis chapter 15, I think it's Leviticus 17. I'm sorry, I said it backwards. Genesis 17, Leviticus 12. You'll see the biblical law on the eighth day. And they did. Look at how you like Joseph so far. He obeyed God. He obeyed the civil authorities. And he obeyed the scripture. Without complaint, keep reading. Look at the same, go back to the verses, verse 23. And as it is written, even the law of the Lord, every male that opened the womb shall be called holy. That's uh, Exodus 13, 2. And, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the, of the law, a pair of turtle dogs, two young pigeons. So he obeyed God, he obeyed the civil authorities, and he obeyed the Bible. I don't know about you, that, that's a just man. Amen? I, you know who Joseph represents to me? The average Christian guy. You say, no, he's extraordinary. Yeah, but that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to, when we can, obey civil authorities. And we're also supposed to obey God. And we're also to obey the truth we read in the scriptures. Amen? Uh, so now what happens? Well, something different happens. Go back to Matthew. Go back to Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter 2. You know the rest of the story. I just want you to think about it. Put it all together. Matthew chapter 2. Look at verse 11. And when they were coming to the house, this is uh, the they referred to there, or what we would call the wise men of the Magi. They come, uh, most of you agree that's probably a, a year or two later. Uh, that comes from Herod's issuing, killing the babies two years old. It's a long story. But uh, this, is after, um, this is after the circumcision. This is after the manger scene. Uh, and so later on, they come, right? The, the wise men come. They saw the young child with Mary's mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and, frankin gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed in their own country another way. So the wise men realized that Herod wasn't being honest with them. He wanted to come worship. That's what he had told him. I want to come worship the child. They were wise enough to know, no, he doesn't. He wants to come kill the child, right? So they leave a different way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and, in a dream and said, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt, and there be thou until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Now the governmental authority wanted that child. Should he have turned Jesus in? Yes or no? Obviously not. Now, 
I love this about Joseph again. Look, look, look at verse 13. I circled this in my Bible. Right in the middle of the verse, uh, the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Arise. You see that? Everybody see that? Look what it says in verse 14. What does it say in verse 14? And he did what? <laughs> and he arose. And he arose and he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. I don't know how long they were in Egypt, but think about what God told him to do. I want you to now leave Israel. By the way, leave your home, leave your trade, lead your family. Walk away. Like a missionary almost. Get out. And I want you to go to Egypt. And I want you to stay until I tell you to come back. And you know what Joseph says? But God, I have a carpentry business. And what about my customers? And what are we going to do with a home? And how are we going to rent that out? And, you know, there's not even a VRBO anymore right now. So, you know, how? No, he didn't say any of that. You know what he does? And he goes. I asked Pastor another question today. I got so curious today. I've been, it's like my brain's firing on all points this morning. How does a carpenter afford to go to Egypt, set up a new life, and wait to come back? Here's what I thought. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You ever think about that? I don't know if that... Now, that's just me guessing. That's not a biblical truth. I'm just saying. I thought... I've always wondered what happened, why did they give him those gifts and what did they do with them? What does a carpenter do with all that? Well, they got to survive. Now, I don't know how long, and I don't think there is any indication in Scripture how long they were in Egypt, but they were in Egypt for some time, right? Guess what happens next? All right, so you know the story. Go to Matthew chapter 2. You're still, you're in Matthew chapter 2. Go to verse 19. So in verse 19, but when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. You can pretty much figure this out. Look at the middle of the verse. Saying what? Anybody know what Joseph probably did? Look at verse 21. What did he do? <laughs> Is Joseph not the perfect picture of an obedient Christian you've ever seen? All the, the angel says, okay, it's time for you to get up. I don't know. I, I don't know how you are. I hate moving. I hate moving. I hate it. And now move to Egypt. Uh, now move back. Somehow in Egypt, he was surviving, whether he's, you know, depending on his carpentry trade or, you know, my theory, gold, Francis myrrh. But now he has to come back. And the, the angel says, now go back. And you know what he does? He goes back. He obeyed God. Now, look at the rest of this. Look at the next phrase here. I want you to understand something about Joseph. He arose, verse 21, and took the young child and his mother and came to the land of Israel. And when he heard that Achilles did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. And I circled this word, notwithstanding. Do you know what, you know what literal translate, what we might say? In spite of the fact. In spite of the fact that he feared for his life, God said, go, go back. And Joseph in his heart said, oh my goodness, I can't, they'll kill me. But if you say to go, I'll go. I mean, I don't know if you've ever thought of all that before, but it just kept striking me. I was like, oh my goodness. What kind of man is this? Here's, what, here's the truth I wrote down. And I think, I'm, I think this is what we're talking about when we talk about obedience. Number one, true biblical obedience obeys by faith. She's with child of the Holy Ghost. How many of you know what it takes to believe that? <laughs> you, if you're not a man of faith, if you don't really trust God, that's a, that's a crazy thought. That's crazy talk, right? Obeys God by faith. Several years ago, four or five years ago, uh, I remember, I remember clearly pastor talking about getting land and building a new building and this kind of, and I'm like, I, don't, don't, you guys keep this between us, okay? But I was like, that's stupid. We can't do that. I mean, I, I'll be honest, that was my first opinion. Man's crazy. Yeah, we're going to go. We don't have that kind of money. We can't pay that kind of... We do. Uh, but I'm standing in that building preaching today. I'm glad some people have better faith than I do. Amen? He, true biblical obedience obeys by God by faith. True biblical obedience obeys God and His Word, even in difficult times, whether she's nine months pregnant or whether... Uh, Eight days after the baby's, eight days after the baby, how many of you ladies are like this? You have a brand new baby eight days later. Now you've got to take another 25-mile trip just after you took the 90-mile trip. Mostly on foot, if not on donkey. 
There's not a lady in here go, oh, I'd enjoy that. No, you wouldn't. That's a difficulty, right? Some of you wouldn't even do it if you had an ambulance or a helicopter. But that's the point. You obey God even in difficult, even when it's hard to obey God, you do it anyway. Amen? You obey God by faith. You obey God in his word even in difficult times. Number three, you obey God above man. Boy, I've worked uh, in a secular job. I worked for Wendy's. Some of you know that years ago. And I trained managers for Wendy's Corporation. And uh, the people above me at the time were not Christians. So let's just say it that way. And there were some things in my job that they said to do that, number one, I knew were not Wendy's standard. And number two, were not ethically correct. And I don't know how many times I said, I, I know one time, uh, I almost got in big trouble. We, my, my, my regional supervisor was here. He picked up the five managers. I was the newest of the five managers. This was before I was a training coordinator. And he drove us for a management meeting to a bar. Seriously. And I didn't, I was so scared. I didn't know what to say. I mean, I had just got promoted like a week before that to manager. Uh, I, I ran the store. It used to be in Speedway. It's a Walgreens and Cunningham Road right there as it goes back. Anyway, you'll know where it's at if you're old. Uh, and so we pull up to this bar and all the guys and one lady manager, they all get out and they all go walking away. And my boss, his name was Robbie, Robbie Valil. Robbie walks back to me and he looks, he's Indian, and he looks back in the window and he goes, what are you doing? And I didn't know what to say. I was like, uh, I'm not going in there. And he goes, what? And I go, I'm not, I'm not going in. He goes, we're having a manager meeting in there. You're a manager. You're going in. I go, no, sir. I'm not going in. And he goes, you don't have to drink. I know you're a Christian, blah, 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 but get your blankety blank in there. And I go, no, sir. I'm not going in. So he went in the bar. Everybody comes marching back, get in the car. And he got so sarcastic. Okay, where are we going to go, Morris? You get to choose because you are the big time. And he went off. Boy, he was railing me. I chose Ponderosa, old Ponderosa on 38th Street. Anybody even remember that? Yeah, there was a pond. They were like, Ponderosa? Instead of meal, I'm going for a meal. So we went. Ravi is one of my best friends. I text him every morning now. He eventually got saved. I put everything on the line that day, but you know what? It wasn't right. I'm a, I didn't belong in there. I had no right to going in there, and I'm not going in there. Sometimes you just have to say, I'm not doing that. That's wrong. The Bible says, right? And Robbie would have asked me for my reason. The Bible says clearly, abstain from all appearance of evil. And I'm not walking in that bar. Sorry. You understand what I'm saying? So that's what obedience is. Obedience obeys God, obeys God above man. And number four, obedience obeys God even when afraid. How many of you, be honest with me, be honest with me. How many of God's ever called you to do something that you went, oh, I don't know if I can pull that off. Amen? Aren't you glad you did? Aren't you glad, aren't you, glad you surrendered to the ministry? I know you had another career. I'm talking to Pastor Wall. You had another career, another job that you kind of had to swallow a little bit. I'm not going to make as much money. What is going to happen here? Is this what God... Every pastor I've ever known has to make that decision. It's kind of... I, I, I thank God I'm called to be a pastor, not a missionary. I don't know. Some of our missionaries, some of the things they go through and see, I'm like, praise God for you. I'm glad God called you and not me. <laughs> it may not be the greatest country as it used to be, but it's still the greatest one in the world, in my opinion. And sometimes God calls us a difficult task. There's something God wants you to do. Don't be afraid to do it. If God calls you to it, God will supply the need. God will get you through it. Amen? I hope you understand that. Now, I've taken almost all of my time. I think I have. In fact, if I remember right, the only thing I have left is this. I think that's the proper definition of biblical obedience. Obeying the proper authority, the right authority, at the appropriate time with the right heart attitude. Do you can I ask you a question? Do you really obey with the right, is it because you want to or because you have to? Because you have to is not the right attitude. If you get up on Sunday morning and say, oh, I wish it wasn't Sunday. There's a part of me that almost wants to tell you, well, don't show up. 
you're going to ruin it for the rest of us. I want you to show up because you probably need something at that point, if that's your thinking. But is it really with the right heart attitude? Uh, I know there were times in the past when we've had Christmas celebrations and Becky would say something to me, aren't we going to read the Christmas story? And I go, oh yeah, I guess we've got to read it. Ooh. That's not the attitude, right? What is it about? With the right heart attitude. Everybody in here pretty much, I'm looking around, I know most of you, everybody in here pretty much would agree with me when I say, you have to obey God and you obey Him by the truths you find in His Word. Amen? Well, I wasted a whole hour. No, we, ha- we obey God. We obey God so that because we love him, we want to please him. And we do that by using the truth of his word. Amen? Can I ask you a question? Don't say anything out loud. Are you doing that with the right heart attitude? Or are you doing it for the wrong reason? I'm doing it to see, uh, get better treatment from God. I'm doing it so he'll love me more. I'm doing it so my bills will be paid. I'm doing it so I'll be happy. Can I tell you something? I found this to be true. Sometimes obedience doesn't make me happy. Not physically. Not happy at all. Sometimes I'm called to do things I don't want to do. I get a call in the middle of the night from the sheriff's department. Hey, we've got somebody that's died. Uh, you need to go over and inform the parents that their child died in a car accident. You know, I want you to be honest with you. I don't go, good. I can't wait to, no. I, I'm terrified when I have to do that. But I know it's the right thing to do. They need somebody with a gospel presence at that point. Amen? Do you do it with the right heart attitude? That's the question. Let's pray. Dearly Father, Lord, I do pray that you'll continue to do work in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to really take a moment and look at our own motives. Look at our own heart. Do we obey because we have to or do we obey because we want to? It's hard, Lord, to think about your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness, all the wonderful things you've done for us and not be thankful, and not express love in return. What I worry, if somebody's here like that, and they understand all those truths, and yet they still, they're still don't love you, and they still don't, please you, don't want to please you, I think there's something wrong in their spiritual life. In fact, I think they might not even be saved. I pray, Lord, that if that's the truth, that they'll come to know Him tonight. And I pray that some of us will take a moment, even right now, and pray and ask you for forgiveness. Help us to get back to the place where we love you. We serve you, because it's a glorious life. And you're a glorious and wonderful God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, it's 7.56 and you are, everybody, done, you don't need anything, do you, Pastor?